My guest, Michael Terrian, is president and CEO of Preambula Group. It's a lay apostolate serving the work of the new evangelization in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Michael, good to have you here again. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Al. It's good to be with you again. Something that is going to be going on for a long time to come is the awakening of the Catholic laity to their responsibility for the Church. How did the work of the laity uh, as co-responsible for the Church first begin dawning on you? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, if I go back into my my high school and college years, I, I wasn't aware of how significant was my experience of being engaged and pulled into the work of ministry in the Church. I kind of felt like, well, that's just always the way it's been. It never even occurred to me that in the, you know, mid-80s, uh, late 80s, that there was something actually very unique about that. It wasn't until later, as I began to study these things more, that I started realizing, especially as I studied the documents of Vatican II, and started realizing that the role of the laity is so critical to the sanctification of the world, yeah. and that so much of the history of the past hundred years or so really revolved around um, a tr- massive change that was taking place in society where the role of the laity was just going to be ever increasingly important as leaven in society to continue to help build the kingdom of God. Do you have any thoughts on why it was so long in coming? Yeah, I, you know, I really believe that for, especially in the post-Reformation church in the post, you know, the post-Tridentine period, you would, mm-hmm. you would call it, yeah. There was a tremendous amount of reliance upon the institutional witness and strength of the Catholic Church, which was largely run by, well, if not entirely run, by clergy and yeah. religious. Yeah. And so, and then there was also, on a pastoral level, the, the way that faith was distilled down to the laity was largely in terms of moral precepts and practices of piety, all good things. But the idea of the average layperson going out into the world and evangelizing was foreign because most Catholics were living in a predominantly Catholic culture. Mm-hmm. So as secularism began to emerge more and more aggressively in the 1800s and into the 1900s, it, it just became evident that something needed to change. But I think we were so accustomed to relying on the strength of our institutions. And it really wasn't until the middle of the 20th century, you know, the 1960s and 70s, that those institutions began to fall in hard times. Mm. So it's taken time for us to change our ways of being and to provide the kind of formation necessary to the lady to actually fulfill this this mandate. Yeah. Do you know uh, how many, uh, what the ratio is between those who are leaving uh, the Catholic faith and those who are converting or coming into full communion? Well, I've, I've seen the statistic that uh, for every one that comes in, seven leave. Okay. second one is that of those who come into the Church, 
through the RCA program as adults, as many as 70% in some places are not going to mass on a regular basis oh. a year later. Yeah. And in my, in my uh, experience, the number one cause behind that is that the people of God that are coming up through the sacraments are not being formed and evangelized adequately. They're being catechized, but catechesis without evangelization is like one-sided Velcro. <laughs> uh, we're we're pushing out co- you know information and and knowledge, but there isn't a receptacle to receive that yet. So the yes. work of evangelization and the new evangelization is so critical for the laity because you have to prepare the heart first to receive the gospel before people are going to have a desire to understand what it is that they've come to experience sure. and, and encounter with Christ. Well, uh, you know, mine, I'm going to, I'll ask you just some basic questions, which, uh, you know, sometimes we take for granted. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the, the great news, the good news that God has come and visited his people and has solved for us this problem of sin and evil that we are burdened with. And that solution or that healing that we've received is through Jesus Christ and faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So uh, the gospel is really the announcement that something wonderful has been done for us uh, through Jesus Christ. And once we come to know him, we begin to feel and experience the effects of that great gift of salvation. Yeah, you make a distinction in a uh, an essay that you wrote, how Jesus made disciples. You distinguish between two ways we can understand how Jesus engaged the people he encountered throughout his earthly ministry. Um, and the difference you draw is a transactional relationship and a transformational relationship. Uh, what are you getting at? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times when we think about the salvation, we think about it as a transaction. So if I acknowledge, you know, God in my life and I, and I, can I uh, go through the process of receiving a sacrament, for example, if I do that part, then I get something in return, which is I receive grace, which takes care of some of my problems. And that, that's true. Like, there is a transaction. We would never deny it. We call it the great exchange, in fact, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus becoming uh, human so that we could participate in his divinity and his divine, yes. his divine glory. But the gospel is, I think, better understood as a transformational process. So through the experience of coming into relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, hope, and charity— Jesus creates the conditions for something new to emerge in our life, which is a new creation. That's us transformed in him. And that transformation process doesn't happen overnight. Um, A transformational process requires inputs, which we also want to see lead to certain outputs, but there's a throughput between the inputs and the outputs. That is, there's a process of growth and development that has to happen so that we're really transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so that process can only happen when we fully enter into that relationship with with the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. and we allow God to enter into the interior life 
and begin to really sort and transform everything that's going on inside of us from a kind of messed up, dysfunctional, broken, wounded person to someone who's been truly renewed in Christ. And so that's really what I'm getting at is that it's just, it's right, it's correct to say that there's a transaction, but we really don't get at the mystery of our salvation when we think of it only in those terms. Hmm. Our life project is conformity to Christ, right? I mean, that's what we are called to be, and uh, you can't really uh, be conformed to Christ without encountering him. Um, the, the word disciples... And, and also remaining Go ahead. Go ahead. in relationship. Yeah. yeah, also, I'm sorry, also just remaining in relationship with yes. him. So it's, yes. it's ongoing, like it's a daily... Uh, it's a daily encounter. It's it's a deepening friendship in the Lord that that you know that transformation takes time. It doesn't happen instantly. Yeah. Now, t- tell me uh, specifically what you're doing in your work there at uh, Preambula to uh, incorporate those insights into parish life. Yeah. So, you know, modeled on Jesus's own approach to evangelization whereby he, on the one hand, proclaimed the kingdom of God to the masses. And in that experience, we see in the Gospels that some people responded to that and then started hanging around him. <laughs> and then as they hung around him, he called them into a deeper relationship so that he could really invest in them and form them deeply. Mm-hmm. So kind of modeled on that, we're trying to do kind of those two things. We want to we want to message, you know, gospel messages to people in a way that they can receive them, given where they might be in a secular, postmodern, post-Christian type of setting. So a lot of people, you know, I, I, they don't even comprehend what we're talking about when we talk about certain issues, and so I think that often we start the conversation way too far down the road. So we need to meet people really where they're at. We hear that, it's very trite, but there's a skill and an art to that. So we wanna we wanna be able to message large groups of people in that way. But we also have created some formation programs to really invest in a in a much smaller number of people um, to be able to help them uh, get the formation and the equip equipping they need to really be able to go out into the world as missionary disciples. And we, we talk about this as being the missionaries out in the third spaces of our culture. The third spaces are those places where people congregate and hang out by their own choice, whether it's a coffee shop, a gym, the side of a soccer field. We, we, I, my experience is that Catholics want to be part of the new evangelization. They want to be part of evangelization but they really don't feel confident to do that. They don't know how, because we're not accustomed to that. So we have to create a culture of missionary discipleship within our parishes and help our people feel comfortable and confident crossing those thresholds of discomfort into the culture where they can begin witnessing and being a bridge to Christ for people who are unaffiliated, unchurched, uncomfortable, maybe even angry with their with the church, uh, or, or operating with lots of misperceptions about what Christianity is all about. Yeah, yeah. So you would think that many Catholics, if not the majority of Catholics, 
don't feel confident even really starting a conversation or you know asking leading questions or trying to engage somebody uh in just spiritual back and forth yes in fact i think you know in my pretty vast experience of speaking and being out in parishes and speaking to just your average parishioner you bring up the term evangelization and people want to crawl under a rock (laughs) they're just uncomfortable it's like that's a protestant thing or that means i have to tell other people like how to think or you know and so what i try to convey to people is no it's, it's really coming alongside people and and sharing life stories and trying to help people discern where god is showing up in yeah. their life and and begin to be a, a like a spiritual resource to another person and a support to them as opposed okay. to someone who's standing in opposition. And hold hold no. it there, Michael. We'll come back and continue the conversation. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Talking about the work of evangelization, sharing the gospel, um, really giving to others what has been most precious to us, and uh, trying to address as concretely as possible some of the barriers, the discomfort that uh, we all feel from time to time in uh, sharing faith in Christ. Uh, My guest, Michael Therrien, is the author of an outstanding book called The Catholic Faith Explained, and he's also president and CEO of the Preambula Group. It's a lay apostolate serving uh, the new evangelization in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Michael, before we went to the break, we are talking about, um, again, me- meeting people where they are but and uh, in, in what that means and how to reduce the level of discomfort. Uh, is it? Do, do you think people, the reason uh, people are uncomfortable sharing, uh, with the thought of sharing the gospel, is because they imagine that what they're giving somebody is an unwelcome message. In other words, it's not good news. You're going to give them bad news, not good news. You're going to give them some new thing they've got to believe, uh, or bad things are going to happen to them. Uh, you think it's, people just yeah, don't think I the mean, good I news think, is good? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh, it, it might come off as though it's just a, another set of expectations that right. I have to conform to. And, right. of course, our environment today is very resistant to that. Uh, the other thing I think plays into it is people don't want to feel as though or be perceived as though they are judging other people. Right. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because sometimes the way in which we've gone about evangelization is is in more of an apologetic mode where we try to tackle or take on issues where, as Catholics, we may profoundly disagree with the culture. And I always like to say that legislation isn't a lead strategy. <laughs> um, Jesus did not deal with people in on those terms at the at the onset right. of his relationship yep. with them, right. that came later. He didn't avoid it, but he 
he really wanted to reach into the heart of people's misery and suffering and let them know that they were not alone and that they were not held in contempt by God, but that, in fact, God desires very much to redeem them and restore them to the fullness of life. And so I think that when we as Catholics look at our role as evangelists in that way, uh, where it's like, how can we be those who, who enter into those places of suffering and hardship that others won't go to? Because we have good news, we have light uh, to bring to dark places in people's souls, not as a judge, but as someone who wants to lift others up. And then as people experience healing in their life and encounter the Lord in a profound way, then they can begin to deal with the conditions of a covenant relationship with God, which is what we call law. But Mm -hmm. that's something we have to deal with later once people build some trust and some confidence that someone really does, in fact, care about them, God really cares about them. Um, do you think that part of the problem here is that we aren't—we don't really—we're not around suffering people. Um, we tend to avoid them. We don't go out of our way uh, to be with people in hardship. And and most Catholics avoid deliberately, um, especially if you're a parent, you avoid immoral people. In other words, we don't keep very bad company. <laughs> we don't keep very needy company. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think there is definitely some truth to that. Although I think it also depends upon who we're talking about, because I can think of parishes, for example, in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, lots of them that are surrounded by people that are yeah. really suffering and struggling, including yeah. my own. I mean. Um, but we tend to keep to ourselves, that is, those inside the parish. But right. even within those inside the parish, I think if we open our eyes up, you know, in our culture today, it's very easy to pretend like everything is fine. Yeah. Even if we're not suffering on a material level, we may be suffering in spiritual ways that are quite profound. But we're so afraid to open up and be vulnerable to to another person. And so, you know, we put our our show on our pretenses of having it all put together. We're very good right. at that as Americans. But I well, think that a, a, a disciple will have their eyes and heart more attuned to where people, in fact, are not holding it together. We have a convention, uh, a linguistic convention in our society. We see somebody, we say, how are you? Right? And most of us don't really expect the other person to stop and give us a, a real answer to that. <laughs> we're all trained to say, I'm fine, I'm doing fine. And so mm-hmm. um, we have to find those moments where that question can be asked, it seems to me, in a meaningful way. So how are you doing? You know, how, how, how are things going in your life? I think of Jesus and the woman at the well, which is one of my favorite uh, gospel stories, uh, because Jesus starts that encounter with her off by showing his own need. He's thirsty. He wants some water. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe that's something we should keep in mind. Maybe we should be the the needy one in these relationships, at least, uh, you know, at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, in the least, to be vulnerable, to, yeah. to uh, yeah. communicate to others that it's I'm, I'm a safe person to be vulnerable with, because right. I can be vulnerable with you. But the other, I think the other piece of it too, like a lot of times 
when people say, oh, I'm fine, I always usually, I always ask, well, is that a good fine or a bad fine? Like, I usually ask a follow-up <laughs> question. Yeah, to, to, that's good. To upset the 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 the, uh, the habitual nature of that like it's just like oh yeah you know I'm fine it's yeah. like well are you really fine I'm really asking like I really want to know how you are and then I've even gone so far with strangers of asking questions like when they open up sometimes people will just really you know they'll back up and dump their freight on you <laughs> yeah and, and I'll say well where is God in this for you right and right. sometimes people are like I don't know. Or I don't think God is there. And usually, you know, I might say, well, either I've done this before. Let's pray about it. Or I will pray for you. And then, like, I had an exchange recently with someone who was a stranger. It's a long story. But I had texted back and forth through, um, I had sold something on uh, Craigslist. Mm-hmm. And I got back in touch with this person for uh, a particular reason. And he told me his father was was dying. And uh, and so meeting up with me was going to be difficult because I needed something from him. And he, you know, I said, well, I, I will be praying for him. So about a week later, I checked up on him. Yeah. How is your dad doing? You know, so I saw that as an opportunity to reach out and to let him know that, A, I, I believe in God and I think God matters in moments like this. And I want you to know that I'm with you in this experience, even though I don't even know you at all. And he was very appreciative of that. And I think there are so many little ways that we as Christians could witness to the gospel. Yep. Uh, I agree. Reaching out to people. Yeah. I, I agree. We should just be a little more intentional about this. Rare, rare is the occasion when the person says, you know, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. I mean, most people will accept your inquiry in a loving, as an expression of your concern. Not as an not as an attempt, uh, some sort of existential imperialism, you know, where you're trying to get control of their life. So I think uh, right, or or being yeah. overly moralistic, you know, sort of yeah. establishing a standard or a metric of acceptability. Again, you know, you think of the G- Jesus's encounter with a woman caught in adultery. The way he handled that situation, he didn't sidestep the law. But he also didn't, he didn't encounter her with the law. That's he, in right. fact, marginalized those who wanted to deal, deal with her in that way, and instead invited her into covenant relationship with himself, which is where the full effect of the law would become medicine for her soul. And that's, you know, that is in relationship with him, loving her, and helping her get out of that lifestyle. That's the way Christians have to be, you know, yeah. in, our, in our mindset towards others. I used to I used to go down uh, to the Cass Corridor in Detroit and do street evangelism on Saturdays. Uh, and I used to bring members of the congregation with me, and uh, the the corridor was filled with addicts. It's really a kind of a catch basin for the indigent, the needy, the poor, uh, the prostitute, and time and again, you would uh, share the gospel with people. Start by saying, "How are you? Um, you know, what are you doing here? You know, you enjoying the day? All kinds of, you know, ways to start a conversation." And I can't tell you how many people I talked to there. They already had heard some version of the gospel, and they also knew. The prostitutes knew that what they were doing was immoral. 
you, you didn't have to preach to them that they were uh, engaged in immoral activity. Uh, they were there for other reasons than their own morality. Usually, had to do with economics. Um, right. And I, I, it's it's many. It's not as though people don't know, roughly speaking, where the Christian where Christianity stands on some of these major issues. They know, and for one reason or other, mm-hmm. they just haven't come into compliance with it. Right. They, you know, they may not believe it. They right, they and may, that's. They may be weak. I mean, there are lots of reasons why. I mean, there are reasons I don't bring my life into full compliance at times. I'm weak. I'm vulnerable to temptation. And so I'm not always the person that uh, the Lord wishes me to be. And I know if that's true with me, it's got to be true with everybody. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, our nature is very deeply wounded. And I think that, you know, Christianity was called a way— yeah, you know, or I love the that. way, precisely because uh, it, it, it's first and foremost a way out <laughs> of mm-hmm. the the prison sentence that sin is, uh, and the and the you know the and it's it's a way to everlasting life, to true fullness of life and happiness. And as Christian disciples who are practitioners of the way, that is, we're trying to learn this way. We don't have to be perfect to lead others. We just have to be willing to walk with others along the right. way. That's the beauty of it, is that the, the faith of the church wasn't built on the perfection of Mary's faith, but on the the, the uh, shaky instability of Peter's. <laughs> so <laughs> we can rejoice in the fact that we don't have to be perfect yeah. to disciple other people and to evangelize them and bring them along. We just have Very to good. show them that there is a way. Yeah. Can you stay with me another segment, Michael? Yes. Very good. My guest, Michael Therrien, talking about sharing our faith. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Michael Therrien. He is uh, author of The Catholic Faith Explained, and he's also president and CEO of Preambula Group. It's a lay apostolate that's working in the field of new evangelization for the Diocese of Pittsburgh. And we've been talking about that. We're talking about the some of the discomfort that people feel when they hear the word evangelization, um, misunderstandings of it, asking, well, what's good about the good news? And, um, you know, Michael, I'm, I'm wondering if you had, um, I mean, do you have a, you know, a, a mnemonic or, or some list of attributes that you would say make up Jesus' method of evangelizing? Did he have a, you know, if you were to frame his model, what are the principles that you would say Jesus used to share good news? Yeah. Well, I have a couple of them. I think my favorite is that he he encountered people, called them, formed them, and then sent them. Hmm. That's good. So, you know, so he he first establishes a relationship with them. But then he definitely calls them to follow him along the road of, of, of discipleship, the path of discipleship. But then he forms them very deeply. He spent the vast majority of his earthly ministry investing his time in the apostles. And then, but then he sends them out to replicate and imitate him and his method in the world. So we do well, I think, to study and to reflect on what he does 
because it worked yeah <laughs> really yeah. powerfully <laughs> and uh it will work for us too um if we if we really try to be faithful to that method but the other thing i would say too yes. is that his lead strategy was always to show mercy and to try to release captives yeah. from what afflicts them yes that's and very good from there he he would then uh help people bring their lives into conformity with the law of charity the law of love and and then you know from there he would you know he would then send them out to do the same so there's different ways we can sort of conceptualize this but i do think that 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 message of mercy that strategy of mercy of is so critical to us especially today i call mercy and love is like the last man standing there's there's no other credible witness in the world today right. except for authenticity yeah yeah i mean love is the final apologetic i would say right absolutely yeah yeah no i i agree i agree um Something I've heard come up, and actually, I've I experienced it in my own life, and that's one reason I'm so conscious of it. It seems the older you get, <clears throat> the less room you have for uh, new relationships. Uh, you might think that well, my children are now grown and out of the house, but they have. But then you have grandchildren, and they happily take up time. They're wonderful to be with. Um, but I've noticed that as people get older, it isn't as though they necessarily have more time on their hands to establish new relationships with people. Um, I think that's all. That's a problem. We we aren't we don't organize our life so that there's room to take new people into our circle. What do you? How do you address that? Yeah. Um, I've often spoke about this in parishes, and what I say is, when I describe what it is to disciple another person, I say, we cannot do this for everyone we know or meet, but we can do it for someone. And if, if everyone in the church, if the whole body of Christ was fully operational and everyone was discipling a person or two, we would cover an enormous amount of ground. And sure. in fact, that's how the early church grew. I don't know if you're familiar with Rodney Stark's great work on the rise yes. of Christianity. Yep, yeah, I love him. He shows that the exponential growth of the church by person to person, neighbor to neighbor. So I don't think it's a question of going out and trying to fill your life with all sorts of... It's, it's your neighbor across, you know, talking over the fence to your neighbor or the people you work with the people you naturally encounter in your day-to-day life and, you know, deciding I'm going to be a kind, this kind of a person to this other person that I know and I see on a regular basis because I, that's all I can be responsible for. I can't try to think about the thousands of people out there that need to be reached. Right. Right. Um, I'll be paralyzed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, I agree. Uh, something else that I've found helpful is to live in expectation that the Holy Spirit is already at work uh, in people's lives long before you ever show up on the scene. 
there's already some kind of inner uh, dialogue at a conscious or subconscious level that a person is having uh, with God or, or their idea of the ultimate or you know whatever their highest values are. So you're not really starting from scratch when you meet people. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit's already in some way been active there. Do you account for that? Yes, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think that the right mindset to have is that is that the Lord will put people in front of our paths who He has already prepared yeah. for us yeah. to be the instrument of His mercy to them. So He wants our cooperation. So I don't think we have to impose ourselves in any way. And when we encounter resistance in other people, that's usually a good sign that this is not a good field to cultivate right now. Right, right. <laughs> Except for perhaps a kind, a kind word. But, but I, I think that I found that uh, the more I am open and docile to responding to those whom the Spirit places in, across my path, it's amazing yep. what conversations will come up in my life or with people that are sometimes strangers, sometimes not people I've known for a long time, but for some reason on this particular day, a conversation commences. And um, so I think a lot of it is just being docile to the Spirit and being led by the Spirit in that, rather than being uh, kind of like, you know, the, the, the willful, striving evangelist who's going to go out there and conquer the world for Christ, I think. Christ has already conquered the world. He just wants to include us in his work. So if we if we are discerning, the Spirit will lead us to those people, or lead those people to us. Let me ask you about some of the institutional issues that might arise here. Um, Evangelization in the Modern World by Pope Paul VI is a great, is a great document. Um, I'm, not aware, I'm not sure how uh, familiar... Uh, bishops and priests are with it because it's it's been a while ago. Do you find that there are institutional impediments to strong lay leaders who want to do this work of evangelism and discipleship? Or do you find most priests and bishops just glad to have you know people there on the, doing it? Yeah, that's... Um how would I respond to that? I would say that, generally speaking, the, the clergy I know are all on board with the new evangelization. Mm-hmm. I think what the hesitancy is, is they don't exactly know what it means on a practical level. Mm-hmm. And so they, there are some reservations about how some people propose that should be done. And in some cases, I would agree with them. That's probably not the best way. Yeah. And in other cases, I think it's a question of of their being more open and maybe uh, spending a little bit more time in the documents of the church and some of the great literature that's out there today on evangelization and, and um, yielding to those, those, those ideas and those creative, innovative ways of trying to change parish life. Um, Sometimes I find that clergy are resistant only because they're so busy already. They don't know how they're going to fit another thing in. And so what I tend to say to them is it's, what, what what you need to do is you need to rethink your whole situation and say, how can I realign and calibrate everything I'm doing at the parish to create a culture of missionary discipleship in my parish so that I need to let go of some things that are not bearing fruit anymore so I can make room for the things that are. Yeah, no, that's good. 
That's good. Uh, make that makes sense uh, in my in terms of my experience as well. Um, so t- t- let's go back to uh, precisely uh, what you're uh, launching with the uh, Perambula Group. Are you working outside the field of uh, Diocese of Pittsburgh now, or are you still largely focused there? Well, I, you know, for now my base is here. So, but we are the formation program I'm I'm, I'm rolling out is going to be available in person, which will be for people in Pittsburgh, but also through on an online platform, mm-hmm. and um, and I will you know, open up more and more spaces for people as I go. Um, so there's there's three programs. One's called Discipleship Forum, which is kind of like for those who want to really explore what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But how does how does my life change if I decide to follow him? Mm-hmm. The second program is called On Fire, which is kind of a it's, a, it's really a deep dive into the spiritual and interior life and also the discovery of one's gift, gifts, Mm-hmm. as a member of Christ's body. And the third is called Missionary Catholic, which is really a, a residency program for people who want to be out in the mission field, but want to do that in a community of practice where they can come back and and, and talk about their experience and continue learning how to become more fruitful in the mission field. So, you know, it's, 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 it's intensive formation for people, and so the cohorts are not large. But as I grow, I definitely, you know, want to open up more and more space for more and more people, and mm-hmm. especially in those online cohorts. Eventually, it'd be great to transplant some of these programs to other dioceses, and that's definitely the plan. Yeah, but yeah. it'll probably take a, a year or so before I can start doing that. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. Um, let me go back to one of the most basic questions: What do you think are the leading We've touched on this, some of this already, but I want to restate it. What do you think are the principal impediments to people sharing their faith in Christ? Well, I uh, I would tick off a couple of things. One is they have a misperception of what evangelization is. So they think it's proselytizing or telling mm-hmm. other people how they should think and be a conscience, their conscience for them. Mm-hmm. And that's not what it is. Right. Uh, and so people have to understand what it is, I think, first. Secondly, I think in our environment of tolerance and and uh, fear of, of coming off as judgmental, mm-hmm. I think people hesitate to breach the topic of religion because it's kind of like taboo. Um, and then, but I think probably third and most important is that people are not sufficiently in touch with how God is working in their own life. So they they don't, like, they tend to focus on the external practices of their faith rather than the experience of the interior life. And the more people understand how grace moves in their own soul right. through the ups and downs of daily life, and especially where people find their wounds and their, their own suffering, that becomes the bridge. That's where we can connect with other people is by sharing what I call our God stories and help opening up a horizon to people that maybe they had never considered before. That is, God is showing up in your life and He really wants to do something beautiful in it. Yeah. How do people maybe stay in touch with you? How do people yeah. stay in touch with the Michael? 
Yeah, reach out to me at preambula.org. Preambula.org, and uh, we'll have that listed at our site as well and linked there. We'll talk again, Michael. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Al. God bless you.